Hi and welcome to another one of the Branch Online Sermons. Today is our last sermon in our series looking at living in God's church. Last week we looked at a current issue that has a big impact on how we live together as God's church and that is our rest or really our lack of rest. And today we're looking at the issue of consumerism. Now, generally speaking, consumerism is about consumption. That is just about taking uh, and taking more and more things to satisfy yourself. It's about receiving rather than giving. And we often use that in connection with stuff. So buying more and more stuff and just satisfying every desire that we have, whether that's buying more clothes or food or whatever it is, whatever it is that we want, we buy to satisfy ourselves. And consumerism is an enormous issue in our society. And as Christians too, we're sucked into that. We're drawn into that consumerist mindset. But there's a kind of consumerism that can affect the church as well. That is, people become consumers of church rather than members and co-workers. Consumerism can take many forms in the church. Uh, it manifests itself in church shopping. Uh, consumerism asks the question, which church best suits me, rather than which church is the church in which I can serve God the best, in which God has called me to serve. Uh, consumerism manifests itself in people opting in and out of things as it suits them. So church doesn't suit me today, I won't be part of church, I won't go to church. Church doesn't suit the kids today, I won't go to church. Church in that form doesn't suit me. Uh, that growth group doesn't suit me because the people are not like me. Prayer meetings are too tiring uh, for me, I won't be part of that. Fellowship meals are too awkward, I won't stay for those. Uh, consumerism manifests itself in people uh, coming to church to engage with God, but not with anyone else. Uh, consumerism comes to church in an imaginary cubicle and avoids any contact with any other people. Consumerism turns up late and runs out the door when church finishes. But the problem with consumerism is that it's completely at odds with the gospel. Yes, the gospel is a gospel of grace. We come empty-handed to receive everything as a gracious gift from God. We come to drink deeply from the well of God's grace. We come to buy without money uh, and to eat the bread of life, which is Jesus himself. The gospel is a gospel of generous consumption, but it is a gospel in which we receive in order that we might give. Jesus says, to his disciples, freely you have received, freely give. Consumerism is at odds with the gospel and it's at odds with the church. And to see that, we're going to work through what Paul says about the church in Ephesians chapter 4. I think the most obvious place to start is simply by observing that through Jesus, God has given gifts to the church. Look at verse 7. Uh, but to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts and gave gifts to his people. 
One of the fundamental convictions of the New Testament, not just Ephesians 4, but the whole New Testament, is that every Christian has been equipped by the Holy Spirit with gracious gifts from God with which to serve the church. You find that same idea in other parts of the New Testament. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12, Now to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. He's talking there in 1 Corinthians 12 about gifts. Or listen to what Paul says in Romans 12. For just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we, though many, form one body... And each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Who receives gifts? Paul says that God gives gifts to each one of us, as Christ apportioned it in Ephesians 4, or to each one the manifestation of the Spirit is given, and that God distributes them to each one just as he determines. If you're a believer, then you have been given gifts from God. You might not feel particularly gifted, but you have gifts from God with which to serve him, with which to serve him in the 3.5% of your time in the church, and with which to serve him in the 96.5% of the time when you're in other places that God has put you. Gifts that you can use to encourage other believers, gifts to serve other believers in practical ways, gifts to give money and time, gifts to lead, gifts to raise your children, gifts to lead people in song, gifts to disciple younger Christians. Please also don't confuse giftedness with effortlessness. To be gifted doesn't mean that uh, when you use your gifts, it will be easy. Using our gifts in service to Christ will involve taking up our cross and following Jesus. That is, it means putting ourselves to death in order to follow in the way of Christ. Using our gifts will often be hard work. But please... uh, Also notice uh, what Paul says in some of those other passages as well. Not only is uh, serving God, not only can that be hard work, but Paul says in 1 Corinthians 12 that those gifts that we have have been given, not for our own sake, but for the common good. Or in Romans 12, Paul says that because we belong to our body, our gifts and even our very selves belong to others. We often think, Uh, of our gifts as presents from God that we can kind of tuck under the bed or put away in the wardrobe and pull out when we feel like using them, when they'll bring us pleasure. We pull them out and look at them and think, well, isn't it wonderful that I have that gift from God? We use uh, gifts and serve others often in ways that simply satisfy ourselves or in ways that we find rewarding. Or we use our gifts in ways and at times that are convenient for us. But that's not why God has given us gifts. The gifts that God has given us are for serving him, for serving his people in the place and in the church where God has put us. 
to use those gifts and to keep them for us, to, to not use those gifts, I should say, and to uh, keep them for ourselves, fails to recognize why God has given them to us. Uh, that's what the parable that's what the parable of the talents is about. Jesus tells the parable of Matthew 25 of a man who entrusts his servants with gifts. Two of the servants use their gifts that have been entrusted to them and they are further rewarded. But one of the servants buries his gift in the ground. And when the master comes back, he's angry with his servant. He takes away from that servant even the little gift that he had. In other words, Jesus is saying to us that we will be held accountable on the last day for how we've used the gifts that God has entrusted us. True believers of Jesus, the genuine followers, the genuine Christians, those who've genuinely been filled by the Holy Spirit, those people will use the gifts that have been entrusted to them for the service of God, for the service of God's church and God's world. If you are a believer then God has entrusted you with gifts to be used, to be used for his glory and for the good of the church. To receive a gift and not to use it is to fail to understand the purpose for which God has given uh, it to us. And it is to be unfaithful with that gift, unfaithful towards God with the gift that he has given us. So God gives gifts to every believer, gifts that belong to him and to the church. But in Ephesians 4, we discover that one of the very important gifts that God gives to the church is the gift of church leadership. In verses 7 and 8, Paul has been saying that through Jesus, God has given gifts to the whole church. But what's interesting in this particular passage in Ephesians is that Instead of going on immediately to talk about the broader body, he, he does that eventually. But first he focuses on a few roles of church leadership. Look at verse 11. He says, So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip God's people for works of service. Paul is saying that not only has God given all kinds of gifts, different gifts to different people in the church at large, but he's also given uh, to the church particular people in particular roles and offices to equip the church to use their gifts. Uh, he mentions five groups of people. First, he mentions the apostles and the prophets. Paul has said earlier in chapter 2, verse 20, that the apostles and prophets are the foundation on which the church is built. And the idea seems to be that the church is built on the message of the apostles, the New Testament apostles, and also the prophets, the Old Testament prophets, and also, if you like, perhaps New Testament prophets, those other writers of the New Testament, like James, the brother of Jesus, or Mark, or Luke, those who weren't apostles. But the church is built on that foundation of the scriptures, those who spoke from God and wrote those words down for our benefit. First of all, God has given us the apostles and prophets whose words are written down in the Bible to equip us for those works of service. But second, Paul mentions the pastors, teachers, and evangelists. If the role of the apostles and prophets was to lay that foundation of the church in the scriptures, then the role of the pastors and teachers uh, and evangelists is to continue to keep building on that firm foundation. Uh, 
the role of roles of pastor, teacher, and evangelist build on that foundation in different ways, though in kind of overlapping ways as well. So first of all, the pastors, or if you like elders, those two terms are interchangeable. Pastors or elders continue the ministry of the apostles and prophets by shepherding people. Uh, what does that mean? We tend to have a very therapeutic view of what the role of pastors or elders is. So uh, we see the role of a pastor as doing pastoral care. And when we think about that term, we tend to think of somebody coming alongside someone who's maybe upset uh, or sick uh, or something like that and sort of comforting them. But the term pastor comes from the Latin term for shepherd, uh, and that's the sense that it is here in the New Testament as well. And the role of a shepherd is to lead people. The role of a shepherd is to lead people where Christ is going. It's The role of a shepherd is to make sure that the people in the church reach the destination, that is, reach the new creation in Christ Jesus. Uh, being a shepherd is about leading people in the truth, making sure they've grasped the gospel, protecting them from error, calling them back from sin. Uh, it can mean going to fetch somebody when they're wandering away from Jesus. Uh, it can involve also leading people in a direction that they don't want to go. Uh, but it can also mean leading people in the direction they do want to go and helping them to continue in that direction and to keep growing as they go in that direction. That's the role of the pastors. It's to lead, to shepherd, to make sure that God's people reach the destination uh, of uh, uh, the new creation in Christ Jesus. The role of teachers then is uh, more specifically, if you like, to build on the foundation of the apostles and prophets by continuing to teach God's people the truth uh, found in the Bible, continuing to teach that truth uh, and so that people are established and grounded in that truth. Uh, sometimes the role of pastor and teacher is put together, as people understand it here in Ephesians chapter 4, uh, but there's no particular reason to think that that's the case. Indeed, there are good reasons to think that uh, that isn't the case. Uh, there's reasons to believe that there's a bit of a difference between teachers and pastors. Teachers seem to be those who are set aside by the church with the specific task of grounding people in the truth. Uh, Calvin called those people the doctors of the church, not in the sense of medical doctors, but um, in the old uh, school kind of sense of lecturers or professors. That is, people who equipped others with the truth uh, for their daily lives of living for Jesus. Finally, there are the evangelists, and like the pastors and teachers, the evangelists continue to build on the foundation laid by the apostles and prophets. But their focus is on taking the gospel to those who need to hear it, but, you know, for the first time. But their focus is not simply on doing that themselves, uh, but also on training the rest of us to be able to take the gospel. Without evangelists leading us in evangelism and training us in sharing the gospel, then the church easily becomes focused on itself. It becomes a kind of domestic hospital where people just fluff up the pillows and make us feel better about ourselves rather than being a war hospital whose aim is to patch us up so that we can get back 
out onto the front line. If all we have is pastors and teachers and not evangelists, then we won't have that missional spirit that we need to be equipped to uh, take God's word into the places where he has put us. So there are these five groups of people that God has given to the church. Why has God given those to the church? Well, Paul says to equip God's people to use the gifts that God has given us. The apostles and prophets train us from a distance through the words that God spoke uh, through the Bible, in the Bible. Those words equip us for every good work, for every ministry and work of service for Christ that we will ever do. But the evangelists, pastors and teachers equip us more directly. They teach us the word. They shepherd us by the word and call us back to repentance and faith. They model to us a godly life and ministry. They equip us for evangelism in our homes, in our community groups, in our workplaces. Their task is not to be doing all the work for us, but to be training us. I imagine that somebody took on a new apprentice uh, and then the apprentice turns up at work and all the apprentice ever does is just put out a chair and sit and watch their trainer doing all the work, cutting the timber or uh, running cables or concreting, whatever it is, uh, that would be stupid, wouldn't it? Because the point of a an apprentice is to be trained in the work, to be equipped by their trainer to work, to serve and to learn the business. And in the same way, pastors, teachers and evangelists are God's gifts to the church, Paul says, not so that we can all sit on deck chairs, but in order that we might be trained and equipped to serve God better. So God gives gifts to every believer through Jesus, gifts that belong to God and belong to the church for God's glory and for the church's good. And God gives church leaders as gifts to equip the church. The last thing that we're going to think about is the reason that God gives all these gifts to the church. In verse 13, uh, Paul tells us uh, the reason why God has given those gifts. He says that God gives to the church uh, and uh, the reason he gives gifts to the church and leaders to the church is so that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. He continues on with that in verse 14. He says, so that then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So the point of God giving gifts to the church is so that the church might be built up. Uh, the church is not just a building, but the church is full of builders. Uh, we, the point is that we might be built up, built together, so that we won't be led astray by every crazy doctrine that comes around, every crazy idea that surfaces. The idea is that we will be built up so that we will speak the truth in love, so that we'll grow up into the likeness of Christ so that we'll grow in love for each other as we each do our part. Again, the point of God giving you a gift is not so that you might be built up, 
but so that the church might be built up. Your gift doesn't belong to you. It belongs to God and to the church. It's not first and foremost about you and you finding your ministry and uh, you finding an area to serve in that satisfies you, but it's about the church and the growth of Jesus' body. It's about using what God has entrusted to you. The great purpose of the church is to build, to build itself up. And again, that is a task in which we're all involved. It's not really possible to be part of the church and to not be building. It's not possible to be a genuine Christian and not be building because at the heart of being a Christian is building in God's church. Now, the way that you build might not be very noticeable. It might be very modest. But in the normal course of events, every Christian will be part of a local church that they are building up with the gifts that God has entrusted to them. Do you see then how that completely overturns a consumer view of the church where we just turn up and absorb what comes to us and then go our separate ways? When it first happened at the beginning of COVID that we couldn't meet together and that things had to go online, we made a conscious decision to only video the sermon and not the whole service. Uh, and part of the reason was to push against the idea that you could just sit down on your lounge and switch on the TV and consume that package of things that came to you. Uh, it was so that you couldn't just sit there and watch the songs. You couldn't just sit there and watch the prayers. You couldn't just sit there uh, and watch the sermon and then get up and go on with the rest of your life without having engaged in any way. No, you could sit and listen to the sermon, but the other parts, the songs, the prayers, the Sunday school lessons, they required people to take some initiative for their engagement and for their spiritual growth and for the growth of those in their households. The point was so that people couldn't just consume but had to engage actively to seek the growth of those around them. But to my mind, that raised a very important question. And that is, why would we push back against simply consuming church online, but then not also push back against simply consuming church in person? You see, what if we not only structured church online so that people had to engage, but what if we structured church, the gathered church, so that you couldn't simply turn up, but had to engage in building others up as well? What if asking something of people, maybe not too much, but something, something small, what if asking every person to contribute in some small way to building the church up was at the heart of how we structured our gatherings? After all, Paul says that's at the heart of the church. We are to build one another up with the gifts that God has given us. So if that's at the heart of the church, how can we not do that when we're together? And again, as I've said many times, again, that's one of the reasons that we're praying together and reflecting together on the sermon uh, in our gatherings at Innocent Street on Sunday. Uh, we're doing that because it's not okay just to turn up and consume and absorb and then leave and go about the rest of your life. 
Because at the heart of Christianity, at the heart of faith in Jesus, at the heart of the church is not just turning up and receiving, but turning up and building. I know that some people are choosing not to come back to services at the branch uh, on Sundays because we're doing those things, because we're praying in groups, we're reflecting together. Obviously, not everyone can come at the moment because of size, but I know that some people are specifically choosing not to come, not because of the size limitations, but because of the fact that we're doing these things in groups, that we're praying together, that we're uh, reflecting on the sermon together. And if that's you, I, I want to challenge you to come. I know it can feel awkward as somebody who struggles with social anxiety. I understand that. I know it can feel awkward, but what we're asking people, what we're asking of you is not rocket science. Uh, we're not asking you to preach a sermon uh, or run a Sunday school class or lead a youth group. Uh, we're not asking you to pray for five minutes uh, in an eloquent prayer uh, that impresses 200 people. Uh, not that prayer should ever be like that. But that's definitely not what we're asking. Uh, what we're asking you to do is just to come and to do something which is at the heart of the Christian life. That is, instead of coming and just consuming, to come and take 10 minutes every week to build up the church with whatever gifts God has given you in whatever degree. It's not heaps, but it's something. It's the beginning of pushing back on just coming and consuming so that we can do what God has called us to do, has gifted us to do through Jesus by the Holy Spirit so that we can grow together into a building which is built together, which is God's church in Kings Meadows. Let's pray. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you for the wonderful gifts that you have given to us, that you have not just given, Lord, but entrusted to us. Lord, when you entrust something to us, you call us to use it for the purpose for which it was given. And Lord, you've given it those, us those gifts, every single one of us, to serve for your glory, to use them for your glory, to use them to build up the church. Lord, we want to confess that We've not always done that. Lord, that often uh, we put those gifts in the cupboard, we bury them in the ground uh, because it's too much effort uh, to use them. They get in the way of the rest of our lives uh, and, and it's too hard, it's too costly. We don't want to die, we don't want to give up our lives to serve the Lord Jesus, to use those gifts. We just want to do what satisfies us and pleases us. Lord, please forgive us for that. Lord, help us to really... Take up our cross every day and follow the Lord Jesus. Help us to use the gifts with which you have entrusted us uh, and help us to so order our lives that we have the opportunity to use those gifts in the ways that you want us to use them. Lord, thank you for the gifts that you've given us uh, and thank you for the pastors and teachers, evangelists, the apostles and prophets whose words are written in the scriptures, uh, the pastors, teachers and evangelists who make those words uh, relevant to us and, and understandable and plain to us today. We thank you uh, for, their, for their ministry. Uh, 
Lord, that uh, equip us with our gifts to serve you in different ways for the building up of the church. And Lord, we, we thank you too for the way that COVID has challenged us uh, as a church to really be serious about being a church and serious about building as a church. Uh, Lord, we thank you for the many positives that have come out of it, uh, the many things that we've learned about engaging together in our homes, uh, engaging together in new ways uh, in our church gatherings. Lord, we pray that uh, you would continue to challenge us to live out the high calling which you have given us to be people equipped by your spirit uh, and equipped by your spirit to use gifts entrusted to us for your glory. Lord, help us to build uh, boldly uh, and with great faith and trust in you uh, that you can use us. Lord, we ask it for Jesus' sake. Amen.